Welcome to Coffee, Grief, and Gratitude, a podcast by Coffee and Grief. I'm Maria Gibson, and this is my mom, Annie Gudger. We're a mom-daughter team who talk about grief. We started this podcast to learn more about grief, to be part of the conversation in normalizing grief. We're not looking for any answers, because there really aren't any. We're just looking for a conversation. My biggest grief was being widowed when I was 28 and pregnant with Maria's older brother. Everything in my world changed, eventually for the good, and that took time. Eventually there was Scott, my fabulous husband, then Maria, our beautiful daughter. I'm fond of saying that grief is the source of my superpowers. It's where I learned to not take time for granted. It's where I learned compassion and love in a bigger, deeper way. It's where I learned to be a beauty seeker, a joy seeker. I wrote my way through grief. I filled stacks of journals. Years later, I wrote a memoir. The fifth chamber is a story of love and loss and more love. The fifth chamber as in, if your heart had a fifth chamber, what would you fill it with? It's my grief story and how I found my way back to me, how I found my way back to love and a beautiful life. It just came out in September. You can buy it wherever you get your books. And I would be super delighted if once you read it, if you would leave me a review on Amazon and Goodreads. So for me, I was raised by my mom and my dad here who were grieving. Grief was very normalized in our home. A thing I've realized in the past few years is that when we don't share our griefs, they become secrets and tear people up. But in sharing them, we can connect with each other on a very deep level. The past few years, I've lost multiple people in my life, including several grandparents, horses, and cats. I feel that many deaths in my life have been major benchmarks in how I view the world. Grief is transformative. You don't need to stay stuck in the hard parts. If you're here in the early stages of grief, we're here to say it's hard. We're here to say to be kind to yourself and thank yourself for showing up, for being curious about what grief can look like in its wholeness. These conversations aren't a prescription. We're just here offering a little bit of hope. So as we like to say, grab your coffee and let's talk. Today, we're delighted to welcome Melissa Gould, who will read a piece of her writing, and then we'll be in conversation with her. Hi, Melissa. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're so excited to have you on today. So first I'll um, share her, her bio and then you'll hear some beautiful words from her. Melissa Gould's memoir, Widowish, is an award-winning Amazon bestseller and editor's pick for best memoir, a Goodreads top pick of 2021, and has been named one of Book Authority's best grief books of all time. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> I know. that's it's And it's, an, it's a wonderful book. And a little more about her. Uh, Melissa's essays have been published in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, the Hollywood Reporter, BuzzFeed, and more. Find out more at widowish.com and on Instagram at Melissa Gould, author. So Melissa, what will you be reading for us today? Um, I will be reading um, a little bit of chapter 12 from my memoir, Widowish. So just a little um, tee up to this section is it was my 17 year wedding anniversary. And it was the first one I would be spending without my husband, Joel, who had passed away almost a year earlier. And I was 
in Chicago visiting one of my best friends because I thought that would be easier than being home alone celebrating an anniversary by myself. So this is at the end of that trip to Chicago and I'm heading back to Los Angeles where I live. On my way to the airport, I made a stop at a sandwich place that Joel had loved to go when we were in Chicago. I went for Joel, but now I was late for my flight. I had never seen O'Hare so packed. One of the luggage screeners was broken, so the security line was taking an extra long time. I watched my friend Jenny drive away and started wheeling my bag to the end of the line when the tears started again. I stood in that security line and realized I would be there for two hours and my flight was leaving in one. I noticed a gruff TSA officer pacing the line. His belly hung over his belt. His hair was thinning, but his bushy mustache made up for it. He was making sure that we, the travelers, were staying in line and following the rules. A few people were understandably annoyed. They tried to get his attention. Some of them, like me, were afraid of missing their flights. Others were simply aggravated by the bureaucracy of airport security. It was tense. I noticed all of this going on around me, but I just stood there crying, bereft, tired, empty. The TSA guy must have noticed me. He approached me with, the only word I can come up with is caution. I think he was afraid of a woman in tears, not just tears, a flood on her face. Why are you crying so hard? He asked me. I looked at him blankly. I saw him. I knew he was talking to me, but I couldn't respond. He stood there looking at me again, cautiously. Y'all right there? He asked me again. People were now staring. I noticed the clock. My flight was now leaving in 45 minutes, and I was nowhere near the front of the line. I tried to think of something to say. I needed help. I couldn't miss my flight home. I took a deep breath, wiped my face with the back of my hand, and without thinking, said something I had never said before. I'm a widow. The, TSI, the TSA guy and I shared the same expression, which was surprise. It was the first time I had said it out loud. The TSA guy, whose name tag said John, gave me the once over and I understood why. Out of all the things I could have been crying about, being a widow probably didn't cross his mind. Jesus, he said, I'm sorry. I need to get home to my daughter, I cried. Of course you do, come on. It's possible, given my emotional state, that he thought I had just been widowed that day. I didn't bother to clarify. John opened up a space in the rope and let me through. He reached for my suitcase and I let him take it. Which flight you trying to catch, he asked. To Los Angeles, I told him. He whistled, cutting it close. John led me through to the front of the line, easily passing a hundred other people. You gonna be okay? John said as he lifted my bag onto the security belt for screening. I couldn't tell if he was asking me or telling me. Thank you so much, I told him as I walked through the scanner. Really, I said through my tears. That was really nice. He nodded from the other side of security. He called after me, get home safe. God bless. I realized that calling myself a widow was a revelation. The word suddenly felt different. I may not have looked like a widow, but I felt like one. Widow once described a much older woman. 
old, wrinkled, tragic, wearing black, maybe even a veil. I felt like a version of Charles Dickens' jilted old Miss Havisham, but instead of being left at the altar and staying in my wedding dress for forever, I was left in midlife, barefoot in shiva clothes and a blowout. Once I started referring to myself as a widow, I couldn't stop. I don't know what took me so long to claim it. That's what it felt like, that I was claiming the word, asserting some truth about myself because it wasn't obvious if you looked at me and saying it, declaring it, embracing it. I was convincing myself that it was real. Joel was gone. He was still my husband. We were still married, but I was a widow. A widow. I'd be at the car wash and while waiting for our cars, the person next to me might say something like, last time I got a car wash, it rained the next day. I'd reply, oh, I hate it when that happens, especially because I'm a widow. Or Sophie and I would be at the In-N-Out Burger drive-thru. I'd give our order through the speaker. We'll take one double-double, two large fries, and two chocolate shakes because I'm a widow. Sophie would roll her eyes mortified. Mom, maybe they'll throw something in for free, I'd say to her as we drove to the pay window, some sympathy fries or something, but they never did. Once when I took the dogs to the groomers and said they'd be ready at three o'clock, I replied, no problem. I'm a widow. I'll be here at three. The word didn't scare me. It didn't make me cower. It gave me something to say, a way to place myself in the world. I had a word for what I was and I used it. It felt powerful. When I dropped the word and the stranger realized that I said widow, I would see the wheels in their mind spinning, waiting to register. Once it did, they would stare at me, stunned, confused. I never would have guessed, someone once said. Maybe that's why I felt compelled to tell people, to say it out loud. Saying I was a widow made it real. For me, it was impossible to understand that my husband died. It made no sense. We were supposed to grow old together. We shared a life. We loved and liked each other. It's not that I wanted people to know. I needed them to. Oh, Melissa, that's so good. <laughs> Thank you for picking that. But I remember I remember this part in your book. Um, oh, because okay. Thank you. Well, because it really is, it really is a big deal. Like being widowed young, you know, we have this cultural idea of what a widow is and it's, or a widower, and it's usually somebody older. Right. And um, I know in the beginning, I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't say it. I couldn't use it. I, I couldn't conceive that that was now my reality, that that was my reality. That was now my marital status, all those things. And um, the way you, I, I do, I so remember reading this in your book because the way then you started using it, one of the women in my support group went from not did what you did. And one day when she was skiing, she got in the, even though she was skiing with friends, she got in the single line every time. So she would go up stranger with, with strangers on every lift. And right. every time she practiced saying it differently, she practiced saying it as soon as she said, hi, I'm a widow. Or she would talk a little bit and then go, hey, you want to know something? I'm a widow. And she said, by the time she got home at the end of the day, after <laughs> spending her day telling, telling everybody that um, she had a different experience with it, Right. Yeah, well, I think that happens because, you know, particularly when we are young and this happens to us and you were really young, Annie, I don't, I don't think I realized that, but it, it suddenly, it's like you have a different identity, you know, and it's like, for me, I think 
first of all, in saying it out loud to the stranger, and it was really felt like a time of crisis on top of being widowed. It's like, here I was, I was going to miss my flight. My daughter was back in LA. I had to get home and it just kind of came out. And then I realized, oh, the truth of that really spoke to, like, I wasn't lying. I, you know, I kind of was like, it was this new reality. And I think that's partially why I felt compelled to just say it over and over and over again in, in ways that didn't even make sense or require me to, to even acknowledge myself in that way. But I think it, it's what helped to make it real because my whole life became so surreal when Joel died that it was like, I just had to keep saying it in order to believe that this was true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you said it at the drive-thru and, and your daughter's <laughs> like, mom, there should be sympathy for us. Come on. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, Dutch Brothers Coffee here for quite a while. Did. Yeah. Like they, um, I don't know what they called it on their thing, but I'm always like, they had a little emo button. Right. So if you were having a particularly, there was literally a day we were all in the car together driving up for a funeral and we told them and all our coffees were free. Oh, right? see, I love that. I think there that's like a cultural shift that I'm not sure if the world is changing in terms of dealing with grief. I mean, it could just be because that's the space that I kind of live in now that I'm aware of gestures like that. Um, and I think that happens whatever people are going through. They're suddenly learn this new language or learn how to navigate this world that they're in. But I do think that very slowly the world is catching up to managing grief. Yeah, uh, I I totally agree. I mean, um, the difference of now, I mean, I was widowed 36 years ago and the difference of what's available now and the conversations that we have, the memoirs that have been written. I mean, I always say about my book that I wrote the book I was looking for because yeah. there wasn't, there wasn't your book. There wasn't, there wasn't a personal account. There were most of the grief books then were written by therapists um, yes. and other experts in the field. And while that was all helpful, I mean, I'm a voracious reader, so I like read everything. Oh, I love um, that. You know, I really wanted I really wanted a personal account. I wanted to know like, how, how'd you get out of bed? You know, how'd you start navigating life? So thank you for writing yours. It's, it's beautiful. And I know it's helped a lot of people. Thank you so much. And, and your book too, congratulations on the fifth chamber. I mean, that's, that's a feat, you know, you've been walking around with this for a long time. So to I put have. it on the page, I'm sure. I mean, for me, I, it's funny because I hear that a lot where people say they wrote the book they wish they had. For me, it really came out of, it was the only way I could find healing was to write my story down. And, and, and part of really what I was not expecting was that it would resonate with anybody. It was almost like selfish. Like I was writing because number one, that's how I have always made my living as a writer. Um, so it just seemed like, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll try this. I had written so many essays. Um, and when I kind of had been published in a lot of different, really great outlets, and I still felt like I had more of my story to tell, I thought, well, maybe I should write a memoir. Because a few people had mentioned that. They're like, what else are you working on? Are you writing a book? And it never occurred to me until it did. And the reason it did was, like I said, it was the most healing thing I could have done for myself. So it's not like I was writing it like, oh, this is really going to help people one day. I am 
honored and thrilled and continually flattered when I hear from people that it has helped them in some way. Um, I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's such a gift that people are giving me, you know, when I hear from them that, that widow wish has helped or resonated in any way. I know. And I always say, I'm so glad that you enjoyed my story and I'm so sorry for the reasons why. Yeah. Yep. It's that thing, you know, nobody wants to be in the grief club, but, right. but once you are, it's, it's, it's such a blessing that there are some really good resources. I couldn't agree more. I feel like everybody's in the grief club, but nobody wants to be in the widow club. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of different facets to the club. You know, there's a lot of loss out there. It's, but, but I do. And that's the other thing too, I'll say is that, and I write about this in widowish. I'm not really a joiner, you know, I, I, it's kind of like my grief was my own. I felt like nobody would understand my grief because they weren't married to Joel, who was everything to me. He was my person. I, I think I even said in the passage, I just read that, you know, we loved each other and we liked each other. Like we enjoyed each other's company. So it's like, I lost my husband. I lost the father of our daughter. I lost my best friend. And it was, it was a lot to manage, you know, but I found community in that, like we're saying, like this grief community, when I was encouraged to meet another young widow who lived in the same city. And I, I didn't want to meet her. I wasn't interested. She left me a message. I think she maybe emailed me. Other mutual friends were saying, oh, you really should meet her. And I just didn't want to. And then I was like, okay, I've heard it now from so many people and she's called me. I'll just call her back and meet for coffee, kind of get it out of the way. And she turned into like one of my closest friends because we have this shared experience. And I think like we maybe would have been friends anyway without this in common, but the fact that we do have it in common was also something I didn't expect or see coming that, wow, she really does get it. And I could talk to her about things I couldn't talk to my other friends about who weren't widowed young with small children. And, you know, we, we had that in common and that also was just an amazing gift. Another one. Yeah, no, I'm, you and I, our stories have definitely have some um, intersecting points. I mean, that was me with my support group. I did not want to go. I didn't, I didn't want to be a part of it. Like who who wants to go? I I did not want to do it. And um, it was my son's pediatrician who kept nudging me and, and then he said, and I, I, I wrote about it and he finally was like, uh, I'm going to have the therapist call you. And I was like, yeah, right. No therapist calls a person. And then she called me. Um, and you know, and I did, and the first couple of times I went, I didn't talk like, right. and I use, I, I'm a talker, right. But I, like, I couldn't talk the, when I went, I just listened, I introduced myself and that was about it, but they were just you know, I'm still very good friends with one of the women. Like that was that they were my life rafts. And once I like started talking, um, it was such a beautiful thing to have that connection. And it is, it's something I really encourage people when they're grieving to, to find a group. And if the first one's not right, keep looking. I say that too. And I, I think it's, it's hard for a lot of people because it takes so much, like we're discussing to even go to that first one that the thought of like, oh, I'm not sure. And also you're not sure. Like, how do you know if it's the right one or not? You know, like you kind of have to trust that part of yourself that is already feeling bereft and vulnerable or whatever. But 
it, it somehow there's a strength that we all have and really relying on that and, and getting quiet and listening to like your inner voice, like what is the best thing for myself right at this moment? Like, it's so important to cultivate that. Yeah, it is. I love that. Excuse me. I love that you said that. Um. So how, how has grief changed you? That's such a great question, Annie. Um, it's funny because I'm really not sure. Part a part of me feels like I'm just the same. I'm I, I'm not sure what's grief and what's just maturity getting older. I know that um I've had to be so much more self-reliant, certainly as a parent. Um that's probably a pretty significant change because Joel was such a great dad and he was an active dad and a very involved father. So in his absence, everything became my responsibility as it does when you're widowed. Our daughter was 13 when he died. Um, so I think that just doing everything, you know, I don't call myself a solo parent or a single parent. I say I'm an only parent. I think anybody who has lost their spouse becomes an only parent. Like we have an only child. So she's the only one. There are no siblings. I am the only parent. It's not like friends I have who are divorced, who have a weekend off here or there, or one weeknight, like, no, this is it 24, seven, 365 days a year. I am it. And, and that doesn't change. I mean, certainly it was much harder when, when our daughter was, yeah, she was in middle school. She was in eighth grade when Joel died. And now she's a college graduate in her early twenties. And I'm still the only parent, you know, so it's the job gets, I wouldn't say easier, but I, I understand it more now than I did in those early days of grief. Yeah. I, I like that you, I, I remember that from your book too. I like that you make that distinction because, because it is, it is different. And probably when people hear you say that it gives them pause to think for a little bit. Thank you. I think it's an important distinction too, because it's really the the best way I can place it, you know, and maybe my point of reference being the parent of an only child, it makes more sense to me. Um, but yeah, that's how I feel. And I feel that for everybody in our situation. Um, and I'm sure there are ways that grief has changed me. I'm just not aware. I think because it was, it's like, you're kind of thrown into it unexpectedly. And I, it's like, what is that fight or flight? Like I, I did both. I think like, you know, I just, and, and I'm still doing it. I'm still 10 years later, still kind of figuring it out. I mean, life has moved forward. And for that, I'm so grateful. And I'm so grateful that our daughter is in such a good place. And I'm so grateful that I have this book out in the world because it helped me so much in my own grief journey. And I, I'm not sure how I've changed. Uh, like, it's hard for me to pinpoint. I'm sure I have, but I, it's hard for me to pinpoint. Like, do you know how you have Annie? Like what has, what has it changed for you? Well, I mean, like you heard me say earlier, and I always say it, it really, I just think it just cracked me open in yeah. ways that I could not have expected. Right. And so the, the, I would hope that I would have gotten, to, I always say this, like, I would have hoped that I would have gotten to this place anyway, but really like appreciating my life in a deeper way, not taking time for granted, um, right. having a deeper, wider love, having more compassion for others and what they're going through. 
Um, and part of that, I, I love that you said part of that is just is maturing too, right? And and I don't know, like I have no idea if my life had stayed on that path that I'd chosen, if I would be where I am. I don't know, right? But I I do attribute so much of I, like the best things in my in my loving self. I really learned through grief. I love that you did say that earlier, and it struck me. And it's true. I mean, you do it did it does crack you open, and I think I too became more empathetic and more understanding of other people's um, issues because, you know, we, we all do. I mean, so many people have said this, but it's like, we all do walk around we, or we don't know what other people are going through right. until we walked in their shoes. And I love talking about that actually, because even in this age of like social media and influencers, and it's like, just move the camera a little to the left and we'll see the total chaos and disarray <laughs> in the background. Um, and I think it's important to keep that in perspective. Absolutely. I agree. Well, we often ask people to tell us like a brief version of their grief story. We've definitely heard some of yours, but I was also wondering if you had any like previous griefs that maybe taught you things or set you up to be more prepared to be widowed or if it just smacked you out of the blue for you. Um, it smacked me out of the blue. <laughs> I think I had what would be considered typical or you know normal grief, grandparents dying, pets dying. Um, but in terms of it being that close to me, it was completely unprepared for it. Um, and I especially feel for my daughter in that sense, because again, she was so young, she was 13. She lost her dad, so she became completely other than everybody else um, in her school and her class and her like immediate circle. Um, so did I, by the way, like, I, you know, we were all in our forties and I was the first of, of my friends to even have a sick husband. Joel had MS and he had been diagnosed years before he died. Um, but even dealing with like a major disease like that, what we were like the first and then Regarding my daughter again, you know, she lost her father, but all of her grandparents are still alive and they still are to this day, which is amazing and wonderful, but it's so out of order, you know, for her that like to have lost, you know, we lost some, some family pets who were so beloved to us. So she experienced that and the natural order of things, she maybe would have lost a grandparent and then maybe another grandparent and then have her own family. And not until years and years later would she lose her father. But no, that happened when she was 13. So it's interesting that for both of us, it really was both of my parents are still alive. Um, all of Joel's parents are still alive. And it's, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And it's also like, huh, how did that happen? Oh, yeah, boy. I'll always remember when, um, right after Kent died and his family came, cause they are in Colorado. Uh, that one of the first things his this will make me cry. One of the first things his dad said to me was he wished he could trade in places oh, that it was just, that it was just so wrong that, yeah. that he, yeah, it's just so wrong. It's so, I, I pre that you said that it's out of order. It's just so, you know, we think of this natural life progression and if we're lucky, that's what we get to experience. 
Um, but it doesn't always, it just doesn't always work that way. No, and it didn't in your case, in my case. And, and, you know, that that's where I think it is comforting to talk to other people in a similar situation and have that, that grief experience in common. It sort of normalizes things, or at least gives you a place to discuss it openly. Well, it does. You realize like that you're not alone. It didn't only, it didn't only happen to you. It didn't only happen to me, you know? And it is, it's why we have these talks because I also know there are people out there listening who will get to listen to you and feel comforted knowing like, oh, it, 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 they're not the only ones. Right. right? And maybe their timing will be different than yours or mine. And maybe their story is really different, but there is something in common, just like between humans, like soul to soul that I think is really comforting. I agree because really that kind of loss that's so profound um, can be so isolating, you know, and so it's very easy to kind of cocoon up and keep the the world out, but it's, you really, I mean, that's something that I, I learned, um, like one of the, the lessons of my grief, I guess, would be that there is commonality to be found. And, and if you find it to really just take advantage because it opens up your world. It takes, it takes you away from feeling so alone and so different, you know, because like we, like we're discussing, everybody has a story. Yeah, everybody does. We just need to take the time to ask people and to listen to theirs. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So is there, uh, what might you, what, what might you, or what have you said to somebody who's lost their spouse? Honestly, I think it's not what I have said, but it's just that I can sit and listen. And I think it's so important to bear witness to other people's grief stories. And that's something that I love doing through my writing workshops and some of the editing work that I do for other people. Um, Bearing witness, I think, is just so important. I think we all have a desire to share our story, whether that means like a memoir or an essay, beyond that even, just to sit and listen to somebody who's going through this and being a source of comfort just by having been there myself. I think that is just, it's an honor and a privilege, I feel like, to bear witness to other people's grief stories. Yeah. I love that you said that. That's that I am right with you. I yeah. I do. It is. It's it's an honor to witness and um and it's just about being with people. Absolutely. Right? And I think giving them just the space to grieve without any sort of expectation of like, you know, I hope that helped. Do you feel better now? Like, no, it's like an ongoing thing. You know, I mean, yes, it was helpful. I, you know, loving friends of mine provided a meal train and we had food dropped off at our house for a while. And, and, you know, I, I loved it when people wanted to talk and reminisce about Joel, like that was so meaningful, but then there were people who like afraid to even say his name in, in front of me. So I just, you know, it's an, it's an interesting thing, what people experience who are kind of connected to, to the loss, but. Yeah. I mean, we all have a different take on things. Yeah, definitely. You just kind of answered this, um, but if there was anything else that 
was probably the most supportive that either you felt in your grief or something that you feel is really supportive to others in their grief that you do? Well, I just love talking about the person who we are grieving about or grieving for, because again, I think in society, people are afraid to sometimes even say the person's name or acknowledge out loud that the the loss has even happened. So I think just sharing a memory, sharing some words that, or an exchange you may have had with the person. I just think that to me, that was so helpful. And it's something I love doing. If it's, if it's somebody that I know and have had an experience with, or again, I just like to listen and hear about the person or I'll ask them to tell me about them or tell me about the time when, you know, I think that kind of thing is just so incredibly healing and important. It is. I think it's a beautiful gift that we can give others. Cause like you said, um, some people are just really uncomfortable asking about your person. And for any of us who've lost someone, we want to talk about them. We want to hear their name. We want to hear other people share stories and not just us, you know, um, that's how, I mean, I say this over and over, but I am a firm believer and that's how we keep people with us is oh. by talking about them and sharing their stories. Annie, I say that all the time about widowish. Like this is what keeps Joel alive. Yeah. You know that I'm sitting here talking. This we lost him ten years ago, and I'm still sitting here talking about him. People are still reading my book about him and us and our love and our life together. So yeah, it's like it's crucial. I think that's all part of my healing, continued healing, really. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> Well, as we're, as we're, you've said so many beautiful things and you've given us so many gems, but we always like to ask as we're starting to wrap up, if there's anything else that you'd like to add, anything that came up for you while we were talking or something else you were thinking about? No, I, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. And I just love, um, this podcast that, that you two do. And I love that you're this mother daughter duo. And I just think it's important for podcasts like this to exist, for books like yours and mine to exist. And I just think that there really is, as we've been saying, a supportive, loving, and for better or worse, welcoming community of grievers out there. And I just hope that that everybody finds what they need to help them through their their grief. And I think it's, I think it's doable. And I, as we've said, I think it's changing. And I think that's a great place to be really. Yeah. That's lovely. That's my wish too, right. To, to find the things that you need, find the people who support you, find yeah. that the, the books to read, the movies to watch, whatever it is, whatever it is that supports you um, yeah, healing like, is out there. And I, I lastly, actually, now that we're saying this, I want to actually say that for me, time has really been a miraculous healer. And I think when you're in those early, early days and weeks of grief, and you're so sad over the loss, it's so hard to believe that time is going to help. You know, that time heals all wounds expression. But the truth is for me, it really, you know, you never get over your person, but I do think that time helps make it easier to live with. It doesn't feel as heavy as it does in those early days. Yeah. And I think in, as in more time, when it, when it hits, like the recovery is, is faster than in, in the early days, like it hits and you're just down. Right. Right. Um, in, in those ways, it's, 
and, and you start to have a different perspective, right? That it's not a magical thing, right? No. That's all. That's why I'm like, oh, that whole time heals. It's 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 no, no. it's you having lived through it and having done the work. If there were, I I'd like to say like, if there's any magic wand, I would have been all for it and I would have shared it with the world. Um, but, but there's no, not. Right. You got to go through so it. You have to go through it, and however long it takes, but you're going to have to get through it. And that's and my feeling was that going through it in time, it does get easier, but yes, you have to do the work for sure. Oh, oh. well, it's, it's lovely. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be listening to this one. I, I always, you, <laughs> you gave people so many good little bits and um, I hope if they haven't already read your book, I hope they will get your book and read it. Thank you um, so. Absolutely. So thank you so much for being with us today. Um, and we'd just like to let people know in closing, you can connect with us by email or on Facebook. Our email is coffeeandgrief at gmail.com. Uh, we have a, a community on Facebook called Coffee and Grief Community because clearly we like coffee. Um, we host a monthly reading series called Coffee Talk. It's the first Thursday of every month. It's five different readers reading a personal grief story similar to what you heard today, except we don't, there's no, um, we don't talk about it afterwards. They just share their stories. That Zoom link is on our Facebook page and it changes every month. So please have a look there. Um, if there's something you'd like to talk to us about, uh, send us an email at, to, again to coffeeandgrief at gmail.com. So as we like to end with, where we say, be good to yourself, be kind to your heart, drink lots of water, do something nice for yourself. And if you have the bandwidth, do something nice for another. Please come back and listen. And this was a wonderful conversation today with Melissa. So thank you so much. Thank you. We love you. Come back. Thank we you. Love so you. Bye.